We are encountering silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. This is the second part of a two-part interview. The first part was released last week in our previous episode of Encountering Silence. You know, I, I certainly agree. Fighting fire with fire only creates bigger fire, of course. And Absolutely. some of these things just, I know for me, are, are so easy to say as a white person in society. And I think for me, it is important for me to keep a sense of urgency alongside that clarity. Because when we're dealing with the gravity of lives and freedom and equality, keeping that urgency of my fellow human who's suffering or under oppression um, ever before me without losing that clear message of truth and that, that, and there's a, there's a stillness to that, that clearness, right. Um, which is born from that contemplative place. I just know for me, I just have to also hold somewhere an urgency. Maybe, maybe it's a still urgency. I don't know. One of the things that uh, greatly diminishes uh, our attempts towards social justice is fear. Now, one would not uh, think that that has anything to do. How can that be a proponent of, uh, of social justice or social injustice? It very well can be. If you are always responding or, or reacting to a psychological framework, you know, then uh, fear will always birth a reaction. Right. And what we as human beings would rather do more beneficial to us and our planet uh, is to be more responsive. As things emerge, we respond in a way with more caring and compassion and those sorts of things. Uh, but fear is one of our greatest, uh, our greatest thorns in the flesh, so to speak, that keeps stirring the the social injustice uh, ideology. I'm reminded, uh, someone told me about a year ago that there are people who call uh, the police on people who might not uh, necessarily be doing anything wrong. Um, and uh, those people uh, are arrested or the police show up and, you know, and so now there's uh, this uh, conundrum of fear and anger that exists in that particular area. And if we were to remove fear, um, then, you know, it'd be less likely that we'd respond or react to, to various things. I also have uh, countless uh, white friends uh, and, you know, really close inner circle people who I have to constantly remind, you know, that uh, now this issue of social justice or injustice uh, in many cases is, is, is not your fault. It was here before you got here. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation that uh, your ancestors were fed. There's a lot of information that was not passed on. Um, and so the years of privilege that uh, they have experienced is um, in many cases, not as a result of them isolating themselves or feeling as if you know everyone else is uh, 
bad or negative. It is as a result of their ancestors designed, you know, designing a structure, uh, a world in which they would be, their fears uh, would be upheld through their children. And so, you know, if uh, I say to, to those people um, that are white, that are not POCs, um, learning more about um, what their ancestors did not tell you, what their ancestors did not share, is a tremendous way of removing the anxiety and fear that they may have regarding what's taking place now. And this will help them to understand, you know, well, I can understand now why people are so angry. I can understand and I can see clearly now how these things needs to, need to be rectified. So fear, fear is a tremendous, uh, you know, a tremendous deficit. And that has to be tackled personally. You have to deal, and this goes back to the self. This goes back to the silence, you know. Um, this goes back to drawing inward. If you were a self-aware action figure in a box, you know, and you're sitting on the shelf, will you identify with uh, the rest of the team or but you're self-contained? Or would you be more intimate with yourself? You'd be more intimate with yourself having all the capabilities of doing all the action figure things, but you would be more aware of those things as opposed to just, um, you know, just assuming that this is whom you are, assuming that this is what you are, assuming that this is the way that they are, assuming that this is the way that it should be, you see. What I really love about this conversation is quite clearly the background you had from the Christian roots then you're moving into martial arts and the military and action and engagement. And then the uh, Buddhist kind of frames and, and threads that have, have, have gone through. And all the way through all three of those, I'm hearing this focus on ju just action. You know, that all these traditions have some sense yeah. of engaging in the world in a way that confronts a problem, uh, the human problem, in various ways, in a just manner. And so I'm kind of curious, you even said in your center uh, how the place that you have of dialogue is a place of reaching out and helping, and, and that justice seems yeah. to be a place that we could meet. It, it, it overcomes theology, it overcomes philosophical differences, but it's this idea of meeting face-to-face -face there. Absolutely. You know, it is amazing that in this world, um, at one point in time in human history, uh, especially here in America, uh, the church was everything. The community was everything. The idea that uh, people were worthwhile was everything. Even if you had uh, you know, someone who was not uh, well endowed with high intellect, they were still a part of the community and everyone recognized them and they were brought into the community as well. Over a span of maybe 50 or 60 years, we've become so industrialized. We've become so technological. Uh, we've actually exerted many of our inward emotional feelings into the electronic realm. And so people have become so displaced from their own humanities uh, in many cases, 
have uh, an, uh, or an inch worth of experience, and they're trying to spread that across a yardstick, that the technology is going to suffice. And this is not the case at all. When we die, we go back to the basic consumptive state of what we were uh, before we got here. And that is dust and carbon and, and all sorts of other particles. So we have removed ourselves from the empathetic role that nature birthed us to be caregivers to one another, caregivers to ourselves, caregivers to one another. And we have removed the notion of that importance with the importance of our phones, our cars, our jobs, our economy, our politics, uh, why even who's right and who's wrong has somehow snuck into there. When you are community, there is no, there is no need to, uh, to really heighten ex at the exaggeration of right and wrong, you see. Because when you are community, there's a well-endowed knowledge of the circumstances that lead to people doing various things. There's an intimate knowledge of the network of people and influences that birth certain things through people's attitudes and behaviors. But when that is gone, then there is only the numbers and the sprockets and the buttons and things of that sort. Um, and and we have to we have to remove um, you know those those sorts of notions from our from our lives. Jesus himself and the Buddha. Um, did the same work. Were they different in their lineages or where they came from? Yes. But I believe that Jesus and the Buddha both understood that if Dharma and if scripture um, are to really be understood, then we must understand that from a very human perspective. We must become a very intimate people with each other. And then, then our books will begin to make sense and not the other mm. way around. Mm. <laughs> yes. This is such a great conversation. I need to, like, I want to ground this in things that we've talked about in the past on this podcast. I'm kind of curious hearing you talk and waxing so poetically, so wonderfully. It's like I'm hearing a sermon. You're preaching to me. It's beautiful. <laughs> Um, I'm wondering, we often ask our guests if they have what we call a silence hero. And what we mean by that is somebody who represents for them, and it, it could be a famous person, it could be a, a Jesus or a Buddha, or, but, or it could be a, a relative, it could be an aunt, an uncle, a friend. Is there somebody who represents for you silence, that embodies for you what you mean by silence and what silence brings to to your life? Is there a silence hero for you that you turn to? I would have to say that uh, my grandmother, and, and I, I could probably quote uh, many, many uh, others, but I, I would have to say at the very top um, would be my grandmother. My grandmother had a unique way of sorting things out, she said. And, and that's what she would say. She says, I'm sorting things out. Granny, what's wrong with it? I'm sorting things out. And uh, she had a tremendous way of taking an inward situation or even an outward situation. If it was hers, it was hers. If it was not hers, she would take it in and she would dissect it part by part. Um, and she would just be with that and look at it and look at it and look at it until, you know, she would, uh, she would either change her reaction 
to you know something a bit more uh, compassionate, or she would uh, change it to something that was a bit more hospitable and uh, accommodating. But I've never seen her do that uh, with regards to anger. She'd never you know take time and then say, "All right, I got it now. I'm going to kick your butt." You know, <laughs> she never did that. She was always very very quiet about certain things, and when she spoke you could clearly tell that uh, she had uh, been with an idea for a very long time. Um, so much so that uh, both parties or both sides or whatever, uh, if it had multifacets to it, everybody would walk away with a piece of the pie or compassion or correction or love, you know? And so I, um, from the time I was six, you know, I watched her do this and uh, I think I naturally, you know, just kind of learned what she was doing. And she spent many hours, many, many thousands upon thousands of hours uh, communicating with me about what she was doing. So she would be my hero. Um, I remember growing up as a child, my grandmother only spanked me once my whole life. And uh, she, you know, she told me, she said, I felt horrible about that. She said, I, I should have taken time to get myself together to work through it. Uh, you know, so... That particular lesson taught me, ah, granny's stuff works. You know, taking time to sort things out, um, you know, would keep me from a spanking. And I think uh, she would be be my hero. And I do that today, as opposed to uh, lashing out at people or judging too quickly. I take time to sort things out, to see them as they are, um, and to understand, you know, understand, you know, Christ, what is it Christ said, uh, in all of your getting, get an understanding, you see? <laughs> <laughs> and you, you've got to slow down to do that. <laughs> Bushi, I, I was so struck by this. I know this has been such a, you know, kind of big conversation, but I also want to add that I am so struck by your playfulness and your joy. And I know at Wild Goose, one of the things that really stuck out to me was that you said, never hold yourself or anyone else too seriously. And you really seem to embody that and hold people and life open-handed yeah you know so rather recently um i had a conversation with some good people and they were from another uh interviewing agency and uh they declared me an enlightened person and uh, <laughs> i was shocked it's like wow you know i i i don't see that but uh <laughs> i i appreciate and began to you know to chide with them I said well now let's see what uh let's see what this enlightenment looks like so uh, let me guess you're going to ask me another question and uh, they all laughed and whatnot so you know that's the thing you have to remain playful the moment you take yourself seriously is the moment that you hurt can you take yourself playfully and still have social justice yes you can do that you see, the people who are opposing you, they hurt too. The people who are against you, they hurt too. And while everyone wants to see whose sword is bigger, who's got the most bullets and who's got the most political power, no one is willing to back down to say, all right, let's take a break. Kind of like what they did during the Civil War. We're both bruised and battered. Let's have some coffee down at the river together, call a ceasefire and just be ourselves, let's laugh. We still have that capacity. Let us uh, sing songs together, we still have that capacity. Does this mean that you have to diminish your ideas of uh, your, your particular position? No, it does not. 
those positions will still be there, but you can discover another side of one another, you see. If you never see another side of yourself, well, guess what? Other people will not be willing to see, you know, the side that you present all the time, especially if it's always too coarse. And so playing with yourself, being kind to yourself, uh, loving yourself. Do you eat dynamite as a dietary substance, you know, uh, to help accentuate your, your fieriness in the social justice realm? No, you eat regular food. So you can enjoy the food and it's okay to enjoy the food without the dynamite. So, <laughs> you know, many of the things that we face today in this country can kill us, but in many cases, they won't. So don't usurp your own joy. Don't usurp or circumnavigate your own happiness as a result of what's taking place around. If I'm going to die in this very socially unrested period of time in human history, then I will die happy. I will die doing whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, but I will, not, uh, I will not audible the truth of myself uh, in order to, to do those things. So happiness is first. Finding your own happiness, being happy with you, then you can fight anything. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in the silence. Thank you. I, this is this has been a wonderful conversation, and um, I I think my final question for you, Bushi, would be, tell me just or tell us just a little bit about your vision, your hope. Yeah. You know, I I mean, you kind of already led into this. You know, that even if we're in a place of tremendous conflict and turmoil, that if if I've done the interior work, I can be happy. And then my struggle for, for social justice or to dismantle privilege or whatever it is we're, we're committed to can be out of that place of joy. That, that, that's beautiful. But I'm wondering if you could maybe expand on that, particularly in terms of the work you do there in Thomasville, uh, your, your, your teaching work or whatever. You know, what do you present to your students as kind of your vision of the good life or of the, the beloved community? Yeah, the beloved community. So generally, when people come here, one of the first things that they hear me say is something that uh, many people say, oh, that's, that's an enlightened thing to, to, to say that. That's a very awakened thing. And it is something that I discovered in my retreat uh, of 10 years. When, when people come here, I tell them, you only have one problem, and that's the only problem that you have. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your children, it's not your job. It's none of those things. The issue is, as an individual, life is not happening the way that you want it to happen. And as a result of not knowing exactly how to deal with that, you see, we look around immediately and we want resources to correct it. Right. And that is the first flaw of your human psychological dynamic, 
to assume that, uh, you know, we can just go out and find something to cure this. You see, and that's, that is not our doing. That is the world that it has been catered to and shaped. You know, children who are born today will um, probably have some sort of device to help them to manage their whole lives. Whereas before, when, when I was a child, you had to go to a human being uh, to help you to sort things out. So one of the things that we teach people here when they first come um, is what my big vision is. And the big vision is in order for us to be the beloved community, you have to discover whom you are, broken and all, in all of that. And you have to be willing, vulnerable, to be that and to work through that and to accept that uh, within the community. And uh, I think this is, this is my big goal for people in all religious walks of life, you know, people who are not religious, to one day come to a place that they re-examine whom they are as human beings outside of anything. This is why I encourage retreats, you know, see how frazzled you are about um, a device. See how frazzled you are about not having the things that you've so heavily um, adopted as your surrogates, you know, to consciousness, so to speak, you see. See whom you are. You're stronger than that. And so this is, a, this is generally one of, the, one of the first things that people learn. I learned that uh, even with a high-powered education and having traveled the world and growing up in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, was the grandson of a profound preacher, um, that I was none of those things in, uh, exclusively. I was so much more than that, and I just had to go in to discover that. And as a result of finding that, um, those things helped to, oh, I guess, garnish, you know, who, whom I really am. And the problem with so many people is that they, you know, they build these, you know, what is myself? What is uh, the notion of I? It is no more than a psychological boundary that we've created for ourselves. Me, my, mine, those are psychological boundaries. And if we never go beyond those boundaries, we will never fully discover, you know, whom we are. Um, so this is, this is the paramount teaching. How does it coalesce, I guess, more or less with, uh, with Christianity and Buddhism? Because Jesus taught the same thing. Once the instance where Jesus uh, was in front of these men who were accusing this woman of doing this terrible thing, and Jesus in a very, you know, passive way, speaking of passivity and violence, uh, Jesus very calmly wrote down the truth of whom they were in so many ways. In the sand, a very diminishing, you know, uh, it was not slated. It, uh, he wrote it in sand, whatever it was. And uh, sand, anybody could easily just go by and wipe it away. But they could not deny that at that particular moment, they were faced with the truth of themselves. Um, and so I think this is important, touching people in their flesh, in their human consciousness, is, uh, is, is what the beloved community is about. We have all sorts of ideas. We want a fence here. We want a steeple there. We want more people. We want more of this. But we don't know whom the people are and whom you know, they have uh, relied in and, and what circumstances have they had to deal with. We, in many cases, you know, make judgment calls based on our limited experiences. 
And so it is necessary for us to um, do deep investigation. Christ was called not only the son of God, and people love to throw that up. Oh, he's the son of God. He's all powerful, omni this, omni that. But he was also called the son of man, man, flesh and bone, which meant that Christ in some way, in many ways, in, in an exclusive way, uh, way, understood the disparities of the human organism. He understood uh, doubt. He understood those things. And so we must uh, tap into that in order to understand more of the Christ. If that makes any sense whatsoever. I'm going to put that on my tombstone, if that makes <laughs> sense whatsoever. Like, and that's going to be my comment about my life. If that made any sense whatsoever. That's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> Oh, lovely. Yeah. One thing we haven't asked is if there's any, like, if you're, you have a poem or even a mantra that you would like to share, something that you really enjoy that you also maybe teach people or that you recite. Yeah, so I, I would say this. Uh, uh, speaking of the mantra, one particular mantra that um, is uh, very personal to me, and I, um, I'm constantly reciting that mantra. However... It is a secret mantra, and it was given to me by my teacher, yeah. and I have to keep mm -hmm. it in context. Yes. However, another particular, you know, uh, I think is, is really important uh, person uh, in my, or oh, I guess in my inner circle, is my wife. Mm -hmm. uh, my beloved Christine uh, means the world to me, and uh, we met each other 28 years ago on a blind date. And uh, within six months, we were married and have been married 28 years. Um, and I would venture to say that uh, much of what uh, Bodhi Cristo has emerged to be was born out of our relationship. You see, being a Buddhist and a Buddhist monk, uh, being allowed to remain married, um, had some unique challenges in that my wife is a Christian. And uh, she, is a, she is a diehard Christian, not uh, necessarily a conservative um, in, in that respect. But uh, we both, during this 10, now 11 year um, retreat process, we went in together. And so Christine often says that um, it is through learning mindfulness it is through understanding that uh, being aware of the inward breath and being aware of the outward breath, uh, she would say that these have been paramount lessons in helping her to understand uh, the Christ. And so Bodhi Cristo is uh, very personal to me because it is largely born out of my own personal life story, but also co-joined with my, life, my wife's life story. You see, I didn't go off to uh, discover these things on my own. It took another human being for me to live with uh, and live through these things in order to fully understand them. So, uh, and very soon, uh, Christine is going to be um, recognized. Uh, there, there's a council that's forming, and we're going to ordain Christine uh, to lay ministry. Uh, she does such a wonderful job here with working with people who, are diehard Christians who come for the first time. Yeah. And she's translate her story um, in their terms 
so that uh, it helps them to understand more about what it is that will come later when we uh, begin engaging as a full congregation. So um, she, she's the she's the she's everything. She really is. And I know Buddhists aren't supposed to have attachments, but uh, well, I fail in that area mm. because I love us. <laughs> I think yeah. that's a good failure, you know, as <laughs> failures go, that's a pretty good one. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's so lovely to hear because the language you talk about uh, with your wife and this idea of the breath and her, her, her finding of Christ in this journey really reminds me of another guest we had on, well, a bunch of them actually, but another guest that we had on um, uh, Father Martin Laird who does a lot of on silence and contemplative prayer in his books. He constantly basically talks about how silence and kind of what mindfulness meditation and everything looks like is really a recovery of the ancient Christian path, like you were saying, of the Holy Spirit and finding Christ and being present to it, you know, so. Absolutely. And this, this ancient path, uh, even at, uh, you know, this, this, first century path, the second century path, this is a very old path, is a very, very large component of Bodhicristo. You see, we didn't reinvent the wheel. Right. Um, in many cases, I guess you could say we got really real about it. I got tired of going to church and hearing wonderful sermons, but people, uh, people doing things that uh, made life hard for other people. Um, after a certain tragedy in my life and uh, after being you know, really tired of doing the, the, the standard Christian thing. I wanted more and had to overcome my own fear. Um, but I wanted to be very, very real about the work. I do not believe that Jesus and the Buddha uh, are inherently different at all. I think they are the same in that they were concerned about the minds as well as the well-being of human beings. Um, the Buddha expounded on the mind. You know, we have churches here in Thomasville, we've got 108 churches in Thomasville and a population of little under 28,000 people. Now that's too much brick and mortar, uh, considering the level of hate and disparity that uh, mm -hmm. takes place in society. So there needs to be some mindfulness introduced there. And so my path this way is merely bringing those two together. Um, yes. Wonderful. And Bushi, where can people find out more about you and your work? I know um, the Thomasville Buddhist Center has a website. It does. It's uh, T-V-I-L-L-E Dharma, uh, T -V -I -L -L -E Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A dot org. And uh, one of my students is in uh, New Mexico now. Uh, Corey Pig is working on another uh, website. We've had to upgrade our website. Uh, and Corey's working on that while he's working in Richard Rohr's office <laughs> at the same time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but mm org. -hmm. Great. Great. And uh, of course, people can find us on Facebook at uh, Bushi or Bushi Yamato Damashi or even Thomasville Buddhist Center. And hopefully, <laughs> God willing, at the Wild Goose Festival 2020. Absolutely. I plan on being there. I already have my suitcase packed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would like to say uh you know, you, you guys are you guys are wonderful. 
Uh, this is absolutely profound. My my assistant is signaling to me uh, just over there. Uh, and I do think we have uh, some guests that have arrived, so I may have to slip out here in just a little bit. Well, I think uh, we're I think we're at the end. I think at this point, all we have to say is that we thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure. All well, right. Thank you so much, Bushi. Thank you, my dear sister. I love you so very much. It's so good to see your beautiful love you face. back. Yeah. Yeah. Thank this, you. This thank has you. been a this has been a joy. We yes. Really... Namaste to you. Namaste. Namaste. We are encountering silence. I'm Carl McCollman. To learn more about me, please visit carlmccollman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. Find out about my work at cassidyhall.com. I'm Kevin Johnson. My current website is kevinmichaeljohnson.com. Please visit the podcast's website at EncounteringSilence.com, where you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on the podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit Patreon.com forward slash Encountering Silence to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters and share in our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all-too-noisy world. Thank you.